0: Amen. Hey, Bobby, guess what we're in? That's right. World religions, cults, and the occult is our big study. And we are on topic number eight. And it rhymes with? Mormonism Mormonism is what we are on tonight. And by way of recap, as you turn into your workbook, and yes, I'm not uh, joking, believe it or not, we are going to be in the workbook tonight. Yeah, I know. It's very exciting. And we might even fill in one blank. Yes. Double wow, double wow. Okay, But uh, by, as you turn there, uh, we already saw by way of recap, the whole thing with Mormonism is it's not built on the truth. It's certainly not built on the absolute truth of God's word. Uh, it's built on a ripoff of James 1.5. It's not even a proper application of that verse, but there's a burning in the bosom. That's how they know it's true. They got something... Uh, bad piece of chicken. I don't know what is wrong, but that's not how you relegate and determine what something is true. And which account, Mr. Joseph Smith? Uh, which which version? A young, old, different ages, different people, different times, different what? Okay, none of that is even consistent. The writings even disagree with each other, but they're supposed to be even better than what you and I have. I don't think so. It doesn't agree. No archaeological evidence. I mean, zero zippo facto coins, coinage, people, battles, equipment, all that stuff. Nothing, not even a scrap can be found anywhere, and yet it's supposed to be throughout North America. Then we saw, of course, what does Mormon actually mean? It means she-monster, devil's gate, and things of that nature. And, of course, with the Eastern folks, uh, it's even worse. That's why they don't want to use that word. But they're also extremely racist, we saw. And believe it or not, that hasn't really gone away that much, uh, even in recent times. And we dealt with that in great detail. Then we take a look at the occult ties, okay? Because it's not just Mormonism, Mormonism and the occult behavior of Joseph Smith. Okay, And so we began to take a look at that. Was, number one, Joseph Smith a martyr? As they would say, he's like a lamb led to the slaughter, and he was just trying to get the... No, he wasn't. He actually had a pistol and shot people and killed people. He fought back. That's not being a martyr, amongst other issues. And, oh, by the way, who shot and killed him? Mormons shot him. Okay, now, Freemasonry. We had that whole study a couple weeks ago. It's all on the similarities of Mormonism and Freemasonry. Okay. So he was not only not a martyr, but he was a Freemasonry. And last time, the whole study was all about their ties to witchcraft. Uh, whether it be in the names, whether it be uh, the practices and things of that nature, uh, most people don't catch it because most people don't understand what goes on in witchcraft, let alone with Freemasonry. Okay? But that's right, so far that's where we've been, and we are in that final paragraph on page one. If you have your workbook, start to cry, and uh, let's get cracking. Now, we may not be in there very long, but let's get cracking. Uh, but then he says, what's it say there at the very uh, bottom? And in fact, just the last sentence of the one just above that where it says, Uh, after Smith's murder let's grab that in the context there after Smith's murder okay because basically all this basically is kind of a little bit of a background introduction believe it or not okay now so he died right Joseph Smith died now what well this is the trail that we're going to begin on up to today all right so after Smith's murder several LDS leaders now as we saw before the crone translation what does LDS mean Leave, don't stop is my translation. Get out of there and whatever, but uh, Latter-day Saints, but whatever. But leave, don't stop. But after several LDS leaders stepped forward to take control of the church, right? Because the guy's dead. He died. He got shot by his own people. Okay, now what? Well, they continued on, right? And there was a fight over that. And the majority of Muslims followed Brigham Young to the Salt Lake Valley, right? And we're probably going to have a whole study just on him because, boy, he was just as big of a polygamist, if not more than Joseph Smith and all kinds of other things, slavery, you name it. So that will become down the road. But what I want you to realize is that's most of us what we think. We say, oh, so Joseph Smith died, and they ended up in Utah. Well, there's much more to the story than that, okay? Because they went in a multitude of different directions, which, by the way, is hypocritical, as we'll see here in just a little bit. Joseph Smith bragged that he did what even Jesus Christ couldn't do, and that is to keep the church together. No, you're getting man. They're splintered in so many groups, it's not even funny. But let's talk about that. He died. Yes, one group went to Utah, Brigham Young. But they began to splinter off, and then those began to splinter off, et cetera, et cetera. Okay? After the shooting, the church, Mormon church, and again, I hesitate to even use that word, church, because that's our term. Okay. Uh, one, a group split off, uh, was led by his widow, which went back to Independence, Missouri, you know, in that Nauvoo area there. They're known as the Reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, right? So you throw in Christianese terms, it makes it Christian. No, it doesn't. Okay, in fact, they even changed their name. We'll get to that in just a little bit But they claim okay after they claim that they are the true Mormon uh, Entity and lay claim to the legal succession of the Mormon presidency Which was bestowed upon Joseph's son Joseph uh, By Joseph Smith himself and I believe it's third because he was there's Joseph senior Then Joseph Smith who we're familiar with Book of Mormon and then his son So he would be number three the other group, of course, yes, was Brigham Young. They went to Utah, 1847. They ended up in Salt Lake, founded in Salt Lake City. He had 25 wives, a bunch of wealth, and again, we're gonna get to that in a little bit. But there was a ton of splinters groups that spun off, and let's take a look at our first video clip for that tonight.
1: The death of Joseph Smith created a fierce competition to take his place. Four leading candidates emerged. Sidney Rigdon, William Marks, Samuel Smith and Brigham Young. Sidney Rigdon claimed that he had received a revelation that he was supposed to take over, but he was not well-liked by the apostles. William Marks, whom Emma Smith supported, was maneuvered out of the running because he was against polygamy, and Samuel Smith, Joseph Smith's brother, was mysteriously murdered. This left Brigham Young, who was appointed head of the apostles, and later restructured the church, making himself president. But not everyone was happy with this arrangement, and the church broke into several factions. And this wasn't the first time that movements broke away from the mainline LDS church. As early as 1831, several groups had split with Joseph Smith, usually as a result of a teaching or decision that was considered unacceptable. None of those groups still remain, but the so-called Prairie Saints, who rejected the authority of Brigham Young, still exist today. Sidney Rigdon started what became The Church of Jesus Christ. This church rejects many of the revelations of Joseph Smith, including plural marriage. James Strang claimed to have been visited by angels, who made him Smith's successor. He also claimed to have translated another ancient record, found in the Hill of Promise called the Voree Plates, reminiscent of Joseph Smith and the Golden Plates. He was able to convince many prominent Mormons to follow him, including Apostle William Smith Joseph's brother, and Martin Harris, one of the three witnesses to the Golden Plates. granville Henrik united several Mormon communities that were left without leadership after Joseph Smith's death. They eventually moved back to Missouri and purchased the Temple Lot, the site designated by Joseph Smith for the Temple of the New Jerusalem, in his original Zion. But the largest group that rejected Brigham Young is the Community of Christ formerly known as the Reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This group was led by Joseph Smith III, and owns the original temple in Kirtland, and a newer temple in Independence, Missouri. But unlike the LDS, this church does not practice temple ceremonies. This is only a sample of the more than 100 factions of Mormonism, including polygamous Fundamentalist Mormons, Liberal Mormons, and New Restoration Mormons. Many of these groups, including the mainline LDS Church, claim to hold the authority and priesthood of the one true restored Church. But whereas Christianity uses the written Word of God as the objective authority, Mormons must rely on the subjective claims of each prophet. The presence of so many splinter groups would have been important to Joseph Smith, who boasted that he had done a work that not even Jesus Christ was capable of, by keeping his church united
0: well that didn't happen <laughs> that's a yet another big lie and did you notice there were splint off groups before he even died okay with that but see this is what we've been saying throughout our study remember what i said with anybody ever comes up to you say god told me or i had a revelation or noodle run okay anytime just stick with the bible since when when's this how, how did this get old-fashioned what's wrong with the excuse me why can't isn't the bible enough for you why do you always have to keep going outside the Bible? Well, just like we've been seeing with all the other different religions, that's what happens. This, why do you have so many different world religions, cults and not Because people get out of this book. Right, And You get out of this book, and then you're in a heap of trouble. And what do they do? They claim to be Christians, but they're not. Each one's a prophet. And, and Joseph Smith uh, had this vision. Well, then well, if you can have a vision, then I can have a vision. Hey, if you can have some plates, I can have some plates. Bobby can. The Bobby E. plates. Hey, he's got a new vision. Come on, right? Once you get outside the Bible, anything goes. And that's why their whole premise is built on that mindset that you can get a new word of God outside the word of God. And everything goes downhill after that. So... Always be careful of them. But that's what we've seen that begin to uh, have the splinter groups. But I want to focus on that, that last one he mentioned there, and that was the Reorganized Church of Jesus Christ. Now, they changed their name to Community of Christ, okay? And the reason why I want to talk about this, and then we'll move on, is because this is the second largest, okay, the second largest group of Mormonism, okay? And again, which is hypocritical of Joseph Smith, he said that he kept it all together. No, you couldn't even keep it together when you're alive, okay, let alone after you're dead. Okay, but that group uh, reports over a quarter million members, 60 different nations. Uh, th- and again, they say that they trace their roots right back to the lineage of, of uh, uh, Joseph Smith. And if you remember in our study on Islam, that's the same thing where you have the different splits in Islam, right? Because one would say, no, it's more of a pop cult leader. And they said, no, it's got to be from the lineage of Muhammad, right? And, uh, but, uh, but anyway, so it's the same thing here. They say they got the direct lineage. They organized basically 30 years, April 6, 1860, and remember, it started April 6, 1830, okay, which again, they say is Jesus Christ's birthday, but as we saw last time, is actually uh, an occult day uh, shocker. But anyway, it's the second largest denomination within the Mormons, okay, and it regards itself as the true embodiment okay, because of this supposed family lineage. Now, pay attention to that. Remember, their whole big giant, one of the big giant breakoffs was they have the true family lineage from Joseph Smith. That's why he bah, broke off, but keep that in mind. All right. But anyway, but in the 60s, uh-oh, but again, see, this is what happens when you got a supposed revelation and you can get some new revelation and you get outside the Bible, they start changing stuff, okay? It's not reliable. But in the 60s, uh, they began to proselytize outside of North America and it, quote, forced a reassessment and a gradual evolution of their practices and beliefs. Now, stop right there. That's a mouthful, right? Now, they did it because they encountered other cultures. And they didn't like, well, that sounds strange. So instead of saying, well, that's the truth and that's the way it is, oh, I'll tell you, oh, we got a new revelation. Uh, and we'll meet your need too. And they just basically become all things to everybody uh, in that aspect. But notice how it says right there, they changed their beliefs and practices. You and I don't do that. You know why? Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and this book never changes. Right? Okay, and one of the things that they immediately changed, okay, and this was in the 60s, right, is they changed the ordination of women to the Mormon priesthood. Well, why would they do that? Because of the influx of feminism. Now, unfortunately, we see that happening in the church today. There's a bucking against the male leadership, whether it be in the home or whether it be in the church, okay? And uh, the same thing's happening, and that's the battle. They do the same, if you will, unfortunate rationale, okay, they say, well, uh, uh, we got a new revelation, or, or we wouldn't say that today, but what they'll say is this. Well, that was a cultural issue back then. Or they'll even, you'll even have people in the church say this, if you can believe this. The Apostle Paul, he was kind of, you know, uh, against women. He was, a, you know, so we can, what? Okay, and, uh, but, but again, no, you could like it, lump it, leave it or not. God, from the get-go, in the scripture, has always had male headship. I don't care if it's popular in the culture or not. It's, that's the way it is, Okay. So, but again, they have this new revelation. They, in the 60s, they began to manipulate. So they changed their beliefs and practices. That was number one. Okay. Uh, and again, they have some of those uh, temples back then, but they continued to change other things. And again, they believed their whole thing. And the same thing Mormonism, even today, because remember, they got caught with racism, as we dealt with, you know, what was that, the first night? Okay, racism, but what do they do? When they get backed up against the wall, when they have a false teaching, and they're not the only ones to do this, Jehovah's Witnesses do the same thing, right? when they get caught back in the thing, what do they say? Oh, I have a new light. And the light told me that you're just making it up as you go. right? We caught you with something wrong, and rather admit that you're wrong, you change things. But see, this is the security we have. This is the ultimate security. God never changes, and he says that it's good for all time. When you're saved, you're saved forevermore. You don't have to wonder. It's not just a cultural issue. And the thing is, God's commands are all for our good. His word is for our good. It's for our life, right? And there's security in that. Listen, I, all I got to do is just do what he says, and I'll have the best possible life this side of heaven, okay? Not a perfect life, because we're going to be persecuted and all that stuff. I'm not, I'm not saying learn to be a better you or you know something like that. But, but we don't have to wonder. You, you do what God says, he'll take care of you, right? You don't have to say, well, is he going to change it this week? Or or should we add another new, new, new Testament, right? Is God going to change his mind? No, okay, and that's great for security for you and I, okay? But they have this prophetic leadership, okay, and listen to what these guys, and these guys, you see, you're thinking I'm just joking, a new, new Testament? Well, this branch of Mormonism, uh, that's actually what they do, right? Now, the Book of Mormon is actually what they would basically say is a new, new, you know, whatever, revelation. Okay, but these guys keep on going, this branch of morning is on up to today. Uh, and they would say that the president, he acts as a prophet. And listen, what they do is somebody's out there and they get a new light. I got a light, the lights. And here's their process, okay? He gets these so-called possible inspired documents that people come up with. And when the, the document goes to the floor of what they call the World Conference, and it goes to the floor for debate, okay, the president retires to a room to allow for personal consideration and then they come out and vote on it. And if they vote on it in the positive, then that becomes sacred scripture. What? You can make up anything. You can go. And then wait a second. Well, what about those guys that you put in those positions that are supposed to know the truth, but then they voted against that, but they lost. They weren't the majority. Why should you trust them? Who gets right? What? It's crazy. And it still goes on today. Another false teaching they have, they say that all persons have great worth. (laughs) Really? Wrong Bible. Uh, All have sinned, myself included, and fall short of the glory of God. We all deserve to die and go straight to hell, okay? And that kind of teaching is not only false, it cheapens the love and grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. What's so amazing about God's love is we were all doomed. What? While we were still sinners, Romans 5, while we were ungodly, while we were doomed, while we were God's enemies, not his best buddies and worthy Okay, Christ died for us, man. He made a way. He didn't have to. That's why that magnifies his love. But when you say, well, God had to save me because this is so worthy. Yeah, let me go talk to your spouse. We'll fix this real quick. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but that's another false teaching that they have. And, of course, salvation is just like the rest of Mormonism. It's based on uh, works as well. But they not only change their practices, uh, they're also involved in the ecumenical interfaith movement. Right? Well, that kind of makes sense because you just keep it going and, and, and you're already adjusting your truth and belief and practices to fit everybody because you just got to get those numbers up. Okay? It's the same thing. They are a part of the National Council of Churches and the World Council of Churches. <gasps> well, it's got to be Christian because it says church. Mm-mm. Those two entities are two of the biggest entities on the planet that are schnookering uh, so-called Christianity to go along with the one-world religion. Okay? The NCC and the WCC, World Council of Churches, man, it's all about getting us together and working, of course, with the other entities. And, uh, of course, they became a member of that, of this, uh, quote, ecumenical body. But then not only that, they also, again, not only adjusted for... Uh, the women to uh, become priests with big thing, but they're also hey, I mean Here's the latest thing this society is trying to cram down your throat, but they're also big on the LGBT participation. So apparently they got new light. Hey, guess what? Um, hey, I guess it's okay now And that's what they promote the the, the allowing uh, not only for same-sex couples for marriage But also the priesthood ordination of practicing Homosexuals as well, okay but again, see, that's the danger. When you get outside this book, there's security. Hey, it is what it is. Whether you like the headship issue or not, oh well. And, and, and trust God, he does things for our good. Okay? Whether you agree on the issue of homosexuality, whatever, oh well. I don't care how popular, whatever society says. God does this for our own good. It does not change. It's not a cultural issue. But again, that's not how they base truth. That's how the cults, that's how the occult, that's how uh, rural religions, they don't base their truth. Even, even as we saw before with, our, with Catholics, Roman Catholicism, right? They, they say, oh, it's the Bible, but their Bible's not the same Bible as ours. And it's not even just that. What do they say? They say that basically, okay, it's the Bible, but our Bible, but even that. it's not. No, no, no. It's also the rulings of the Pope, the church councils, the early church fathers. So which one is it? Right? Those are the challenges that you have people say I believe in the Bible It's only in the Bible, but that's not what they practice. Oh, and let me just step on some toes That's going on in the church today We'll sit there and we'll have a doctrinal statement that this is the final rule of faith and practice All the scripture right, but is that really what we practice? No I've said this so many times what I have at least witnessed and experienced. I don't care where I've ever pastored This book is not determining the lives of christians. You know what it is? The secular educational system, personal opinion, peer pressure, okay, and a secular media. That's where it's coming from. And then what they do is they go in here and try to look for loopholes. Or they twist and take verses out of context because there's a societal pressure or something they just want to be true, and they try to squeeze it into the text, okay? And that's unfortunate. So we're in danger of doing the same thing. Also, as we're going to see, Lord willing, later with some of the charismatic fringe groups, they're doing the same thing. Because what do they teach today? Well, there's a prophet so and so, or even prophetess so and so, and they have this ability to have this word, or God giving them. It's the same thing. How is that any different than what is going on with Mormonism today? It's the same thing. You're getting outside the scripture. Okay, so that's that group, and that's the second largest group that's in there. And uh, oh, by the way, now remember I said that. Uh, remember what was the big reason why they split off in the first place? Because they made the claim that they have the direct lineage of the founder, Joseph Smith. Near, near, near. That's right, guy. That's time for that noise. Uh, No, you didn't even get that one right. They've changed that too, right? And and the key word there is just evolving, whatever. And this uh, uh, president, uh, Grant McMurray, he's been designated prophet president, right, of the organization, he was the first church president who was not a direct descendant of Joseph Smith, which they considered to be a distinguishing trait from other denominations in this movement. So even the very core thing, why you even split off in the first place, you're not even doing. But again, that's the danger. You have no security. Anything goes. Once you get outside the scripture and you say you get something new, whatever, you can make anything true, right? And it's bound to fall apart every single time. And that's what's happened to them. All right, back to the workbook. Final paragraph. woo Yeah, Bobby, you ready? And it can be very long, but I'm just excited about it. But anyway, the Mormon church, right? The Mormon church is organized so that what? One prophet leads the church, okay? One prophet leads the church. Now, beneath the prophet in authority is what's called the Council of Twelve Apostles. I'm giving you leadership structure. I'll get into that more in just a second. Uh, third group is what's called the First and Second Councils of the Seventy, okay? And all these men together are called the General Authorities, Right? And the local churches are called wards or stake centers, and they meet for worship in what they call meeting houses. Okay? So let's take a look at their structure. All right? So they basically start off with what's called the first presidency, and there's, there's two councils, but each one is addressed as the president. So these are the top, 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 top dogs. Right? There's this first president guy, two other entities, but they all get to be president. So I don't know if they've got a, an issue against vice presidency, But they never use it. But anyway, we'll get to that in a second. Then below those three guys, okay, those three entities, is what's called the quorum of the 12 apostles. (gasps) That's got to be biblical because it's 12, just like the apostles in the Bible. So? You know, it just makes it sound good, right? And uh, that's made up of a senior apostle, okay, and he's addressed as president. The other 11, they're just dressed as elder, right? So again, there's no vice presidents anywhere. I don't know if that would start a faction or, you know, if it starts... We just call everybody president. I don't know. Then below that, okay, so you got the first president, two counselors. Everybody's a president. Then you got these 12 entities. Only the top guy's are president. The rest of them are elders. Then below that is what's called the Quorum of the Seventy. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. And that's made up of seven presidents. <laughs> then you have what's called the first quorum and the second quorum. Okay. So you've got even more presidents. All right. Then below that is what's called the stake presidency. Okay. And then below that, you've got the wards. Okay, and the wards are headed up by these guys called the bishops, right? And you're probably familiar with that, okay? But that's how they kind of break it down uh, into that. Then you come into the members, the individual members. So they're at the very, 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 very bottom, and they're not called president okay, uh, unfortunately. But anyway, uh, so then well, how many? Well, some reports, just take your pick. Uh, some say 14 million, some say 15 million. And, uh, but what I found was very interesting, as we saw with the history of Joseph Smith, even last time with the witchcraft issue, because his whole family, not just him, it was a family business, okay, they were into that money digging thing. And money digging, well, that sounds innocuous. No, money digging was a witchcraft issue. You use witchcraft to supposedly find these hidden treasures that are guarded by spirits. It's all witchcraft. But most people don't know that. So, but anyway, they're into witchcraft. But he's into money digging. And it's not just the cardboard plates. Now, it's the golden plates and all this stuff, and they're big on cash and money and this and give it, give it, and you better give up what you're supposed to be given or you ain't making it into the temple and all that stuff, and we'll pull your records, and we'll get into that, Lord will, maybe next time, okay, but it's all about money. He was about money, 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 amongst other things. He was also into uh, polygamy, lust, sexual morality, whatever you want to call it, adultery, And uh, We'll get into that later, but money big money So if you want to understand also if you notice where the strategic places where typically they plant themselves Have you ever noticed that dynamic? You're rarely ever gonna find a Mormon temple in a really bad area Right why can I be out blunt with you? not a lot of money You're gonna be more in your high-end neighborhoods new neighborhoods new suburbia developments here comes a Mormon temple or a meeting house Whatever, okay because that's where the money's at. Now, listen to how much cash is coming in, right? And uh, you and I, you're cheerful givers. You know, Second Corinthians 8 9 says we give cheerfully, not under compulsion, not because we have to, because we want to, right? But theirs is, mm-mm, you have to. And if you want to make it to that top kingdom, the celestial kingdom out of three, we'll get to that in a little bit, okay? Then you better pay up. And if you haven't been doing it, we're going to pull your records, and you better pay up, or you're not even going to get there. So it's, it's, it's really extortion. But, again, when you understand the history of the person, the founder, it just bleeds through the whole organization. But they make, and I just did this stat yesterday, looked online, their financial income is in excess of, listen to this, 22 million dollars per day. Per day. Right? Okay? And their net worth is, it's hard to even get a number. It's in the billions, way big time billions. And that's just, it's hard to even number because they don't always report and stuff. Uh, and as we saw in the opening video, they're always buying and selling stuff, and so it's like you don't really even know how much they got. But it's, they're raking in right now $22 million a day. But don't worry, I'm sure they're using that money for good things. Yeah, watch this one. Here's our next video.
1: As evident from their TV ads, websites, and visitor centers, Mormonism puts a lot of effort into PR and marketing. But several things about their image seem to generate a little confusion. Take Mormon art, for example. Why is Smith shown translating the golden plates like this, when he actually translated them with his face in a hat? Why does this painting from the Book of Mormon, showing Jesus visiting the Nephites, feature a Mayan temple in the background, forcing an archaeological connection where none exists? Mormons are well known for following the Word of Wisdom, a list of do's and don'ts about food and drugs. It says it is not by command, but it became mandatory in 1834 for church leaders, even though many leaders, including Joseph Smith, didn't completely follow it. And in 1921, it became mandatory for entering the temple. The Word of Wisdom simply forbids hot drinks, but the church teaches that iced tea is forbidden and hot chocolate is not. It also allows mild drinks made from barley, but the church says no alcohol and the statement to only eat meat in winter doesn't seem to be enforced at all. Mormons like to emphasize that ye shall know them by their fruits, a phrase they take to mean that their church is true because of their good works. And according to their official website, the church has given $1 billion in humanitarian aid since 1985. But according to estimated church finances, that reflects only about 1% of the church's tithing income for that time period. Interestingly, the church is currently spending Three billion dollars on a shopping mall in downtown Salt Lake.
0: How's that noise go again, guy? Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, excuse me. One percent, one percent. You're raking in a high amount of percentage, and we'll get into that little rule next time. And you're only giving back one percent. Oh, and by the way, you're spending three times that much on a shopping mall for yourself. Absolutely, uh, wow. Total. Total hypocrisy, all right? But, hey, let's get back to that workbook for a little bit. That's right. Meeting houses is where we left off. They're meeting these meeting houses, things. Now, the temples are not for worship, okay? Uh, That's your first and only blank tonight. But, hey, at least we got one, right, Pastor Tom? That's right. Uh, They are uh, not for worship, but they're used for ceremonies for the living and the what? Dead. Now, hey, folks, I've had the privilege to pastor in California and New York, uh, praise God, and having a great time getting a pastor uh, here in Las Vegas, get to speak at different places, you know, around the world and stuff, and, and uh, I'll be honest with you, there has been tempted, sometimes I'm thinking, man, are these people dead, okay, but uh, no, I know they're alive, okay, but, <laughs> but are you serious, you, you baptize the living and the dead, what's that all about? All right. less than 10% of LDS members are allowed to enter these structures. Okay, and this is what goes on there amongst other things. Okay, and the temples are required for Mormon marriages, for uh, proxies, baptisms of ancestors. Okay, so what's going on with this big old practice? They baptize for the dead. Now they don't take corpses in there and baptize dead people. That'd be really bad. Okay, uh, but what is all that about? So let's let's talk about that tonight. Baptism for the dead is a Non-biblical practice. How many of you guys should realize that? Okay, it's not that would I wouldn't want to do that, right? I have enough challenges being a vertically challenged guy trying to baptize live people, right? And uh, and some of you guys it's so funny because I see some of the guys are you know a little bit bigger, you know a lot of people are a lot bigger than me being small, but I love seeing to look on your guys' face when that person that's like six foot five, you know, two hundred seventy-five pounds because you think I'm going down, right? <laughs> You've got to practice. But I digress. Let's move on. Baptism for the dead is a non-biblical practice where a living person, listen, is baptized in lieu of a person that passed away. And as a means of making a public profession of faith for a person that is already dead. Now, if we're not going to accept infant uh, uh, baptism as a means to get somebody to heaven, which is not, because, again, how can an infant know what he's doing? Right? They're babies. They're not cognizant. How can they choose to accept or reject Jesus Christ? They don't know anything, so you can, all they're doing is getting wet. Right? And that's why, as Protestants, we would reject that teaching. Right? Now, I don't know what that magical age is, whatever the theological term is, the age of accountability. I don't know what it is. Kids are all different, so I don't think you can slap, it's six, right? It's, I don't know what it is. Okay, but certainly not as an infant. And so we rege- reject that. But last time I checked, infants are alive. So if we're going to reject that... I'm sorry, how many guys can concur tonight? You guys look very discerning. We concur tonight that dead people n- make no professions, right? And if they do run, okay, that'd freak you out. And it's not, they don't, dead people, that'd be a good teacher, Bobby. dead people do nothing, okay? They don't do anything, give me right, right? So how can they make a profession of faith and whatever? And, and then why would you set up this weird ritual that, that you could do it for a, a dead person? And you like, but they're dead, you can't change. When a person dies, you're either in heaven, or in hell. You can't change it, you can't reverse it. Oh, but isn't that popular today? People try to soften the harshness of hell. And they come up with false teachings like universalism. Or they say, well, people will have a second chance when they get to hell. Because that's just too harsh, man. It, no, that's the importance of get saved now. And, be, and being responsible for that. Well, Mormons basically have come up with that. False teaching, a baptism for them. Because that's their way to soften that reality. Like, okay, Because we'll, they'll at least have a chance. It's a false teaching. Let me get that. Now, what's interesting in the research, you go like, well, why, of all things for them to do, they've already done a bunch of weird things, and they, they ripped a bunch already off of Freemasonry and witchcraft, okay, amongst other even secular sources, and he's just hodgepodging the whole thing together, a, a brilliant, if you want to use this word, a brilliant plagiarist, okay, but of all things, why did you do baptism of dead? Well, I think there was a family tie, and that has to do with his brother, he had a brother named Alvin, Alvin Smith, okay, he died. He died before Mormonism took off. Now, let me trace that trail for you. He was the eldest brother of Joseph Smith. He died when he was 25, and his death occurred two months after Joseph's first visit, visit to the hill from which he said to have recovered the golden plates that would later become the supposed source of the Book of Mormon. But again, who knows which account, whatever. But anyway, so that's how it goes. So basically, this guy, his brother, older brother Alvin, died before Mormonism started. So Now, this was interesting. Alvin's funeral at that time, was held at the Presbyterian Church because he died before Mormonism started, right? And this is the account written by his other brother, William Smith, and he said this about the pastor who preached uh, Alvin Smith's funeral. He said, quote, Reverend Stockton had preached my brother's funeral sermon and made it very strongly clear that he had gone to hell. (laughs) Listen, which William then writes, Cites, this is the reason that Joseph Sr. would not join the Presbyterians. So basically he got he got ticked off. Right? And of course, this spreads to his other son, Joseph Smith. So he got mad at the fact that, hey, guess what? There is a hell. Wow. So, so, So you can start to see an ulterior motive starting to be built here in the family dynamic. Okay. Now, Smith obviously he comes up with this doctrine of the redemption of the dead and and the, the practice of the baptism of the dead. And uh, January 21st, 1836, after the completion of the Kirtland Temple, Joseph Smith, uh-oh, here we go, claimed to have a vision. He just keeps having them, so I don't know what's up with this. Uh, uh, have a vision of the celestial kingdom. You remember the top tier. And if you guys remember, there was the top tier. We'll see this in a little bit, hopefully. Uh, three-tiered system that they have. And the first one, of course, is the celestial. Then you got the terrestrial and then he's got the telestial now as we've noticed that also that's nothing new remember we saw last time he ripped that off from the new ager guy emmanuel swedenborg okay and it's also in the jewish kabbalah the occult mysticism stuff and all he did was change this last one that's it but this whole three-tiered kingdom thing nothing new he ripped that off too we saw that last time so anyway so he has this vision supposedly taking place in this top one the celestial uh, kingdom there uh, and he's states that he saw his brother, guess who there? Alvin, right? And he was surprised in his presence since he had died before the establishment of the Mormons, right? And the associated doctrine. So Joseph Smith stated that he then received a revelation concerning those who die, like his brother, without hearing their gospel and the ability to receive the same opportunities as those who had the opportunity to hear it on earth, right? Well, that's convenient. Get your brother in there. Right. Well, if you die, don't worry. We'll still get you in there. Right. Excuse me But also what we're gonna see even today Mormons will use this to uh, So-called answer the skeptical question that we even get answered and that skeptical question is What about that guy? What about that guy in the desert island who never heard of Jesus? You mean to tell me God's gonna send him to hell Well, Mormons say oh, yeah, that's that would be horrible. That's why we baptize dead people give him another chance seriously that's really their rationale amongst that even today but as you and i have been equipped many times in our discipleship studies 101 and 102 that's the importance of reading the Bible. Okay? Romans 1 and 2 gives us the answer to answer that so-called skeptical question. And that's what's called the three C's. right? 1, 2, and 3. The first C, nobody's going to stand before God. Hey, God, that's not right. You shouldn't have sent me to say, oh, I was a guy in a desert island. I didn't, I didn't have a copy of the Bible. I didn't, excuse me, you have no excuse. Romans chapter 1, you have the light of creation. The light of creation. You go outside, you see a bird, a flea, to a bee. You see intelligent design, which implies a designer. You look at the stars, the complexity, everything. There's no stinking way this happened much chance. Okay, it drives you to what? To know that there is a God. That's what Romans one says. That God shows us that even though He's His invisible qualities, His eternal nature is seen by what has been made, creation. So you look outside, and guess what? You go, wow, there's a God. You're accountable. So there's no excuse. Oh, and then not there, he gives us the second one, Romans chapter 2, and that's the light of conscience, right? And that's where Paul goes, hey, listen, even the Gentiles, okay, they don't have the copy of the law, the Jewish law, right? Yet, he says what? They're, they know inherently, the, it's the moral argument. They know inherently, okay, they do the, the law. They know it's wrong to murder. Where did that come from? If, first of all, if evolution is true, how do you even decide what's right and wrong? You don't. And that's where you go, the strongest, the fittest survive. That's what Hitler relied upon. Okay, but but they they don't know. So how would they get they never saw the Jewish Torah? They didn't have a copy of that. So how do these Gentiles Paul is saying that they know it's inherently wrong? It's wrong to murder. Where'd that come from? Everybody knows that now again over time your conscience can become seared, but But early on, you know, that's a wrong thing to do. People know inherently it's wrong to steal. Where'd that come from? Well, these are the Ten Commandments, right? But they've never seen the Ten Commandments. How Where'd that come from? Well, that's the argument the moral argument of existence. More universal moral laws logically must come from a universal moral lawgiver, i.e., God. So the fact that people know inherently morally tells us that there has to be a moral lawgiver. There has to be a God. So remember, that's your second thing. So again, you have no excuse, right? Because they say, "Well, what about that guy that was blind? He never got to see creation." Well, you had a conscience. God pulls the rug out, and all the skeptical things. No, so you're accountable, right? But I always like when people ask that. You don't need to compromise like the Mormons. Okay, And others, Okay, and you don't need to apologize for God. Okay, But the other one is, you flip it around and you say, okay, well, that's the theoretical, hypothetical, straw man argument, the guy on the desert island, or the guy on the mountaintop, or the guy who got lost in aisle 13 of Walmart. And whatever you want, pick your scenario, right? Okay, But guess what? That's neither here nor there. I'm having this conversation with you, and I just told you about the claims of Christ. You're accountable. Ooh, and see, that brings it home, doesn't it? Right. But again, instead of doing that and sticking to the Bible, what do they do? They flip it around and say, "Oh yeah, that would be horrible. Uh, that's why we baptize dead people. okay that's really what they, they teach, okay so and again, I wanted to, to clarify that., Okay, but let 's go on further. Do they really baptize the dead? Yes, they do. And this is actually uh, cnn.com. This is in their religious editor section, so this, and this is relatively current. So this is really out there. this is what they're promoting, this is what they 're advertising, this is what they believe, and they do. And I quote. Uh, Oh, by the way, they're getting in trouble because they're baptizing dead people behind people's backs. Don't be baptizing my family. I mean, it doesn't mean anything anyway because you're dead. When a person's dead, you're dead. You're in heaven or hell. But whatever, it's just people are starting to get a little bit upset because they're out there snagging anybody. Sure makes the numbers go up, doesn't it? But let's move on. Uh, The recent disclosure that Mormons baptized the dead parents of Jewish Nazi hunter Simon Wiesenthal by proxy has sparked an outrage in the Jewish world. Uh, The LDS church vowed to stop baptizing Jewish Holocaust victims in 1995. They said they wouldn't do it no more. This is a secular uh, piece. But but, uh, proxy baptism for the dead is a proud Mormon tradition. And here's the basics of how it works and why Mormons do it. For Mormons, baptizing the dead solves a big theological problem. How do billions of people who never had the opportunity to accept Christ? uh, Well, right here, Romans 1 and 2. But no, they don't do that. Quote, by baptizing the dead, Mormons believe they are giving every person who ever lived the chance at everlasting life. What? Oh, including Muslims, Hindus, atheists, pagans, whoever. It's wild. Mormons believe that there's a place uh, the dead go, which is called spirit prism, and where they will have a chance to accept this baptism. And this is from Richard Bushman. He's a Mormon scholar, by the way. He said, it's a duty to actually perform ordinance of baptism so Mormons seek out, listen, quote, every last person who ever lived and baptize them. Why are they so big on genealogy? Why do they store these things in the side of a mountain? Why are these guys always, because of this. I thought they were just doing it to help us find our family history. No, they want to baptize your family, the dead. This is what it's really all about, all right? Many Mormons are proud of the fact that they attempt to make their faith u- universal. Anybody can get saved. Doesn't matter what you do, if you blew it, hey, we'll still catch you on the other side. Isn't this wild? Okay? And listen to what they say about us. Their way is so much better. Listen. They say, and I quote, and this is a, uh, uh, a guy named Terrell Gibbons, Mormon dude, expert on whatever. Historically, Christians have been exclusive. You know, we would say, Jesus is the only way, John 14, 6, I didn't make it up, he said it. He's the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through him. And you better get saved in this life because you, you don't have another second chance. There is no second chance. Right? What's Hebrews 9.27 say? It is appointed man to die once, then face judgment. You don't keep coming back. And we dealt with the whole life, reincarnation, all this stuff, in the Hinduism and Buddhism studies. Anyway, so historically, Christians have been exclusive. Evangelicals say only if you confess according to their traditions. The Mormons say, no, salvation is open to all people, dead or alive. Absolutely. Wow, the Mormons also encourage its members to baptize the dead in their families going back at least four generations Again, that's why they need to do it because they got to do this because you know just like with Alvin. Don't you want your family be there? Right? Right? It's it's that whole crazy thing. Okay, the church also teams up with other people They travel around the world to identify as many people as possible baptized Listen whether or not they're even in the lineage of present-day Mormons Just grab them anyway The Mormons Mormons are constantly going through parish records, wills, deeds, and other genealogical sources so they can extract names and put these people through the temple process. Wow. That's weird, with all due respect. There's no way for a person... Listen, listen, a secular article, CNN. Listen to this quote. There's no way for a person to prevent himself or herself from being baptized by the LDS church after death. (laughs) Makes me think about, you know, the word Mormon... Remember what it was? This was basically the name for the boogie monster. They're going to come get you after the grave. God, they're going to baptize (laughs) you. Can you believe this? Baptism for the dead inside the Mormon temples, that's where it takes place, which again, the average Joe, you can't go in there, but this is one of the many things that goes on in this secret temple, right? Stuff. Members of the LDS Church undergo full immersion baptism while the names, listen, while the names of the dead are raised, right? In fact, listen, apparently they're very efficient at it. The LDS member might participate in 10 or so baptisms at a time, right? It's kind of like Congress. You know, Congress wants to ram something through, they do what's called piggybacking. And they cram a bunch of bills on it, and just, and that's where you get in trouble. So with these guys, they don't do even one person at a time. It's like, okay, you're going down, ready? Bob Smith, Earl Smith, Billy. hey, you got 10, woo, wow, cranking them out, all right? And uh, that's what they're doing. But anyway, so Joseph Smith, obviously, he's the one who introduced the baptism of the dead. Uh, and here it is, here it is. Well, you can laugh all you want, sunrise, because this is biblical. Really? And here's what they do, just like they ripped off, completely out of context, James 1, 5, which is the whole premise of why they test the book of Mormon. I know it's true because I ate a bad piece of chicken. I got a burn in my bosom. No, you don't uh, determine truth by that. But the same thing, they rip off, turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. Okay, we're going to take a look at that text real quick. 1 Corinthians 15, and the phrase there they rip out of context completely is, why are they then baptized for the dead? Well, see, it says right there they're baptized for the dead, so that's why we do it. No, that's not at all what Paul is talking about there, and let's explain that uh, real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Of course, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is what? It's called the resurrection chapter. It's all about the resurrection. And how many guys, when you read through 1 and 2 Corinthians, you realize that, uh, man, they were so spiritual. Paul had hardly anything to say. These guys were doing everything right. No, they were messed up. (laughs) The Corinthian church was messed up. And Paul's addressing sin after sin after sin, a misconception and bad behavior, this. And then he gets into this, the, the resurrection and he's basically shaming them. It's like, are you guys crazy? I mean, he's in the 15th chapter, just in the first letter. He's already covered 14 chapters, for those of you hooked on math. He's covered 14 chapters of stuff, of things they're doing wrong and he's having to correct. And now he comes even to the resurrection. Are you serious? You guys are even thinking about doubting the resurrection? That's the whole context of what's going on here. And he, so he, he, he calls him on the carpet on that there. Okay, but let's take a look there at uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Let's start with verse 12. And you can, you can hear, if you will, his uh, sarcasm, if you will. He's, he's trying to like, what? You guys are blowing me away. I can't believe this, man. He says, but listen, if, if, if it is preached, verse 12, that Christ has been raised from the dead, how could some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? Hello, McFly, you can insert that one in there. Right. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And hello, if Christ has not been raised, what? Our preaching is useless, and so is our faith. Everything hinges on the resurrection. How can you doubt this? This is the basic core issue of Christianity. Come on, guys. You blew it over here. You blew it on division. You blew it on sexual immorality. You blew. It, and come on. Now the resurrection, I can't believe I'm covering this, right? You can almost feel that uh, angst there with Paul. And then he goes on. Uh, and he says this, well, more than that, we are found to be false witnesses. In other words, we're going around saying this, and so now you're saying we're liars, right? False witness about God. For we've testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised, right? For the dead are not raised. Then again, he says, Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, what? Your faith is futile. And what? You're still in your sins. You're not saved. This whole thing's a pipe dream. You're still headed to hell. It's a serious issue. Then those who have fallen asleep or died in Christ are what? They're lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied all more than men. And then jump down to 29, because this is still the flavor of the context, right? They're doubting the resurrection. Paul, I can't believe you guys. This is the core of Christianity. How could you doubt this? If Christ wasn't raised, then we are still stuck in our sins. The people who've already died, they're not going to have a resurrected body. How could you doubt this? Verse 29. Now, if there is no resurrection, what will, listen, us? No, those, key word. Now he's talking about a different group of people, right? What will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, then why are people baptized for what? Them, not us, right? And again, Paul's just using another argument. I can't believe you guys are doubting the resurrection because if the resurrection didn't happen, man, everything we believe is, it's just, we we have no hope. We have no hope beyond the grave. Okay, now what's interesting when you look at Corinth, and again they weren't like a prime example, unfortunately, and Paul's already having to correct them. And Corinth was influenced by the culture, okay, of the day, it, whether it came to their beliefs, their patterns, uh, and all that stuff. Well, guess what? Guess what was around Corinth? There was a uh, just north of Corinth was a city named Eleusis, and that was the location of a pagan religion where baptism in the sea was practiced to guarantee a good. Afterlife, okay, and they also had, of course, the baptism for the dead that was practiced. And so, all Paul is saying here. Now he's he's trying to convince them in a multitude of different ways. Have you noticed is that? What's pastors? They do that. Have you noticed that? It's like, dude, you could have said that in five minutes. You took forty-five. What are you doing, right? But see, you can't just say it once, Tom, right? You know the disease, right? You got to sit there and if you don't get it, then I'm going to come around from this angle. I'm going to say it from over here. And if you don't get that, then I'm going to come around this third angle here. Oh, you still don't get it? I'm going to come around here on the fourth. Here's the fifth angle. You got it yet? And so Paul's already saying, listen, the whole thing on the resurrection... Hey, listen, our, we're stuck in our sins. Really? Are oh, they didn't get it? Oh, people aren't even... Raised. The people have already, your Christian brothers and sisters in Christ have already died? Well, they're doomed too. Oh, by the way... Oh, you want to, you want to keep going? Okay, i tell you what. See, the Eleus- you guys know the illusions over here, right? They baptize for the dead, right? Then if there is no resurrection, even they know there's a resurrection. Then why are they even doing that? And he's saying it to shame them. Even the non-Christian, the pagans know there's a resurrection... And here you are christians and you're denying it he's not condoning that behavior he's just drawing a distinction even non-christians know there's a resurrection that's all he's saying he's not saying do it right and the guy says this he says listen if the dead are not raised okay if you deny the resurrection then why are they again baptized for the dead he's talking about the Illusions. he's talking about the not he's not talking about the church Okay, he did not say we okay. He's not promoting the practice of baptism of the dead The pagans were doing that he used that as an illustration to shame them. Give me a break even non-christians know That there is a baptism paul's point was simple. The resurrection is reality It's going to happen when jesus returns even the pagans believe in the resurrections. Otherwise, why would even they? Baptize okay, why did they baptize for the dead? right and again, let me, let me give you an analogy. If I were to say, hey, even non-Christians know that eating chicken is bad for you. Well, Pastor Billy said it right there, eat chicken. I didn't say eat chicken. I said, listen, everybody knows it's not good for you. Even the non-Christian knows. They could read the articles just like me. 70% of chicken is contained arsenic. See, you think I'm joking. Read that article. But it's available right here. But I was like, I was like no, I'm, I'm using that to basically make the point. It's like, you won't listen to me. But listen, even non-Christians know it's true. But I'm not condoning the activity. It's the same thing. Paul's saying, listen, even the non christians these guys over here, you know them. They're right just north of you. Even they, the non-Christians, they, they, they do this practice, the baptism of the dead thing. Even they know the resurrection. But he's not condoning it. Do you see what they did? And so once again, just like with James 5, what did they do? They wrenched it out completely. wrenched it out of context. And say, well, it says right there, baptized from the dead. But again, it's not even to the church. It doesn't say we. He's two different arguments, uh, two different audiences. They, uh, those and them, okay, is the context there. So the whole thing is not even dealing with that. But then I'm just going to throw this in there because then you, because you might hear this if you confront this with a person involved with Mormons. Let's say, well, that's all nice that you say that there's two different audiences there. Um, That it's they baptized for the dead, meaning a distinction of a different group of people, not the Corinthian church. But technically in the Greek, uh, the word they doesn't appear there. Well, yeah, technically, guess what? It's not. But then technically, it is. Because it's a verb that's translated there, okay? Baptizantai, and it's in the third person plural. So when it's translated correctly... Do you just say baptize? No, it's third person plural. So, correctly so, the word third person plural, they, is added to it. So, nice try. Have a nice day. It is correct uh, with that word there. And I just had to throw it in there because, unfortunately, sometimes they'll do that. So, that's their practice uh, with baptism of the dead. Now, flip the next page. Uh Oh, it was right, Bobby. Because we're going to basically take a look at Mormonism in a nutshell. And if we're going to be able to do Mormonism in a nutshell, we ain't got time to do it tonight. So that's what we're going to start with next week, right? Taking a look at Mormonism in a nutshell. Uh, Because as we go through that, man, we're going to be dealing with all kinds of stuff. Because this is basically trying... Remember the cartoon we saw? Okay, of what they really believe? That's what this is in written form. So we're going to tear this baby apart. And I'm probably going to have to stop because there's so much falsehood in it. And we're just going to rip it. But we'll do that, Lord willing. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, Thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven.
1: God bless.